come away with the trouble and sure come away with the raggle taggle gypsy or we'll raggle taggle here we'll raggle taggle there raggle up and don't taggle everywhere from the north from the south from the east to the west well the sky is a roof and the road is a rest no one say yes no one say no but <laughs> free with the raggle taggle gypsy top of the morning to you it's the eyes isn't it <laughs> it's just too funny now Webster's defines a shamrock <laughs> as a small plant with three leaves on each stem. It is the national symbol of Ireland, not to be confused with the lucky four-leaf clover. Don't do it. And according to St. Patrick Day legend, St. Patrick used the three-leaf clover to, to uh, define and explain the trinity of Christianity. Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Each leaf was the representation of one part of the, of the Trinity. Now, Ernest Holmes said this. He said, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost is the Christian Trinity. It is the thing, the way it works, and what it does. It is the divine creative process or the divine creative principle of religious science. Okay, he said this, the thing is absolute intelligence, the way it works is absolute law, and what it does, the result, is manifestation. So there you go. So here I am, looking like the triune nature of spirit, <laughs> according to science of mind. Now, another, another myth of St. Patrick is that he banished the snakes from Ireland. And it is true. There are no snakes in Ireland to this day, but there never were. <laughs> they, there never, there never were, you know, Ireland, uh, Ireland after all is surrounded by icy water, too cold for snakes to migrate from England. And I think the only thing there, uh, the only reptile there is the common lizard that actually exists in Ireland. So really snake ownership, here's a little interesting factoid. Snake ownership is a status symbol in Ireland. But even if they escape, they cannot survive the weather on the island. You know, it's not like Florida where they get out and they start breeding all over the place, you know. They just cannot survive. And the interesting thing about the myth of driving the snakes out is that snakes symbolically represent evil. You know, we've heard about the snake in the Garden of Eden, right? <sighs> anyway, the snake sometimes is symbolically uh, represents evil. So when Patrick drove the snakes out of Ireland, really symbolically he was driving the old evil pagan ways out of Ireland and ushering in a new age of Christianity. You know, <laughs> it was his ministry to Christianize the island of Ireland. You know, he was born in um, England, actually, and he was kidnapped at 16 by Irish pirates and brought to Ireland to work, I think, I don't know, in the, in the, with animals, I think, work in the fields or something. And he had his conversion experience there. So when he was freed and he was brought back to England, he swore that he would uh, become a, a priest, a bishop of something. I don't remember exactly what. And he would go back to Ireland and he would work for the rest of his life to, to Christianize Ireland. So that was, his, that was his ministry, Christianize the Emerald Isle. So 
Here we are at St. Patrick's Day, and it's on a Sunday. It's like almost never on a Sunday. I love it. <sighs> the wearing of the green, right? Look at all you guys. Look at all you guys in green. It's just amazing. Okay, pinching each other for not wearing green, right? Pinching others for not wearing green. Just be really, really careful. That could be, you know, sexual harassment. We don't want to do that. I just really don't get into that. The, what about the Chicago River, right? It's dyed green. Oh, my gosh. Did you see pictures of that? It's amazing. St. Patrick's Day parades. New York and Boston, Buffalo, um, Dallas, Denver, Dublin. I mean, they're all over the place. San Diego had one yesterday, right? What about shamrock shakes? Anybody? Anybody? Uh, really gross. Shamrock shakes. Green eggs and ham. Come on, Dr. Seuss's, yeah, contribution. Green eggs and ham. Green bagels. And, of course, green beer. Green beer, absolutely. And here's, here's an interesting factoid. It is estimated that 5.5 million pints of Guinness are consumed on an average day. But on St. Patrick's Day, it more than doubles to 13 million pints. So be careful out there. <laughs> Just be careful. They call it drowning the shamrock. (laughs) I love that. They actually, the shamrocks that they carry around with them, they drop into the bottom of the glass and then they fill it with whatever, Guinness or Jameson's or, you know, whatever it is. And then they drink it down. Now, they don't really actually say whether they swallow the shamrock or not. I'm not really sure. But that's called, yeah, drowning the shamrock. Okay, so I'm a little too big for the glass. (laughs) But I'm ready for the talk. (laughs) And the talk is, it's not personal. Right? It's not personal. We talked about the theme at the the first Sunday of March. And the theme is demonstrate integral integrity. And I went, what the heck? And so what what I talked about was the four agreements. Because I thought the book, The Four Agreements by Miguel... Uh, Don Miguel Ruiz was a perfect example of living a life of integrity, right? Living a life according to the agreements we make consciously. So the first week I talked about the biggest one of all, which is be be impeccable with your word, right? Speak only words of love and truth. So this is the second agreement. And now you have to understand they're all kind of based on that first agreement. But this second agreement is don't take it personally. And so I thought this is a perfect one for this week because... um, Look at me. (laughs) This outfit lends itself quite nicely to this segue, don't you think? (laughs) I mean, I'm up here looking quite silly. And some of you, I I would think, find it amusing. Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully. A bit of comic relief, right? I mean, you know, I don't know. That's what I'm assuming. Some people can be offended. Right? Some people may be offended. Some people might think in their minds, oh my gosh, that is so not appropriate for a minister to be dressed like that while on the platform. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, right? Someone might be, someone else might be thinking, oh my God, she's finally lost it altogether. She has just finally lost it. Time to retire, you know? (laughs) And I'm sure the reactions may run the gamut, you know? And here's the thing about not taking it personally. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with me. Right? I mean, I'm wearing it. It doesn't hurt anybody else. Having a little fun. And it has the, the reactions that I get back have nothing to do with me. Remember the sign? Remember the sign we talked about? I have it here. I actually made one up. The sign is... 
Tell me more. Remember, lean in. Oh, you're offended? Tell me more. Tell me more. And on the inside of the sign that I can read, it says this. This has nothing to do with me. This has nothing to do with me. Right? Here I am looking goofy. (laughs) And you may have judgment about that. And that's, you know, that it's right. That's a judgment. Oh, my God, she looks adorable. How, how fun is that? That's a judgment. It's wrong. You shouldn't be dressing like that. Ministers should not be doing those kinds of things. It's unprofessional. It's delightful. It's funny. It's distasteful. The ever-popular, it's inappropriate. It's joy. It's fun. It's, my, it's, it's what my spiritual center is all about. Right? It has no business in a spiritual center. Any one of these things, all of these evaluations, they are all your business. And they're not mine. It was Terry Cole Whitaker who said, what you think of me is none of my business. Do you remember? And actually, she wrote a book by the same name. And it was Ernest Holmes who, I got to tell you, himself was not above dressing in costume. I have seen pictures (laughs) of him in various kinds of costumes. He had fun with his talks. And he was very, he was known to say, I don't take myself seriously, but I take this teaching very seriously. And that's what I feel like, you know. And it was really interesting. I was reading about Ernest Holmes and, uh, Monday mornings, after, after the Sunday talks, he would gather together with his fellow ministers, and he would sometimes ask, did you make big talk yesterday? Did you make big talk? And, and sometimes Ernest Holmes would be asked, you know, if he was speaking on that Sunday, he would be asked on Monday morning, did you make big talk? And he would say, as a matter of fact, I did make big talk yesterday, and it was so good, I could hardly wait to hear what I was going to say next. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, there was a poem that he used to like to recite on those Monday morning meetings with his other ministers. I think it was written by Sam Walter Foss is is how, where I cited it to. It's been anonymous and other people, but I think the earliest... Uh, was Sam Walter Foss, and it was called Song of the Talker. And Ernest Holmes used to kind of dance around in the hallway of the Institute of Religious Science, and he would say, I love its giddy gurgle. I love its fluid flow. I love to wind my tongue up, and I love to hear it go. (laughs) He had a lot of fun with his talks. And while he was having fun, he was imparting serious philosophical and spiritual wisdom. And on his community and on ours as well, right? Coming down through the ages. He was a speaker of truth. He was a mystic. He was a a synthesizer of the truths that are woven throughout all of religions and philosophies of the world. And so (laughs) when he would make fun, you know, and people might criticize, he said this about criticism. He said, I never criticize. I only analyze. (laughs) Anyway, he goes on to say, what others do is their business. And I may disagree, but it's still their problem. 
if I criticize or pass judgment on their actions, on what they do, then it becomes my problem. And it doesn't help the situation in any way. <laughs> and, and sometimes he would say, I never criticize, I only analyze, the first part of that quote. And then he would go on to say, boy, isn't that a classic example of rationalization I, I never saw before? He's a funny guy. He had a lot of fun with this. But he had a clear idea of not taking it personally. You know, he had fun and he always spoke truth. And he knew that if anyone came at him with that kind of judgment, their consciousness and not his and not his and how freeing is that how freeing is that for us when someone comes at us with criticism and we can do this right we can do this tell me more tell me more you know i mean for years people would say i would come down off the platform and somebody would say i loved your talk great talk you hit it out of the ballpark wonderful talk somebody would say those shoes don't match that outfit And on the way home, that's all I could think about. Those shoes don't match that outfit. Those shoes don't match that outfit. Oh, my God. I was taking it on. Somebody was giving me a judgment, and I was going, yeah, sure, okay, fine, thanks. Because I didn't know this part. I hadn't learned this part yet. This is the most freeing part of all of the uh, uh, uninvited advice we get, right, or criticism or input. Can I give you some input? Sure. Sure you can. (laughs) Right? Tell me more. Tell me more. Remember your sign. It is the most freeing thing you have. How wonderful it is to live a life free from the condemnation of others. You don't have to take delivery. You know? You just don't. You don't have to take delivery of the advice, of the criticism, of the input, of the suggestions. When others let you know how offended they are by you or how disappointed they are in you or how let down they are by your behavior, they are coming at you from their context from their ideas of right and wrong, from their value system, from their judgment of good and bad. And it truly has nothing to do with you. Don Miguel Ruiz, in the book, The Four Agreements, said this. He said, nothing other people do is for you. Nothing other people do is because of you. And Ernest Holmes said this in uh, Richer Living, only people with petty minds indulge in racial hatreds and distinctions. God's perfect idea of humanity is the basis for every living soul, and we must believe this and act that it is so. When we dislike people or groups, we are, here, we are bearing witness to our small and limited viewpoints. The people to whom we fail to find good are born of the same mind, operate under the same law, and express the same life that we do. Our inability to see their divine origin is our own self-created stumbling block. Often we are held back 
by our petty dislikes of other people. And don't you know, we're witnessing that in the world today, aren't we? Aren't we? Segregation and separation and divisiveness. We're seeing that. We're seeing the illusion, the illusion of separation because there is no such thing. There's only one. Core concept one of the religious science of mind and spirit. There's only one. There's only one life. There's only one energy. There's only one God. There's only one shamrock. No, there is only one. There is only one. And whenever we see us and other, we're, we're seeing falsely. Whenever we're seeing separation, we're seeing the illusion of separation. And just like we want to give up taking everything personally, right? Don't you want to just step into the freedom of not taking it personally? Just like we don't want to take anything personally, it goes both ways. We can't judge others either, right? If we don't want it landing on us, this is the second part of that. Don't take it personally. Don't give it either, right? Goes both ways, that whole judge not thing. I'm not going to accept the delivery of your judgment, but then it's up to me not to judge you either, right? Matthew 7, 1, it says, Judge not that ye not be judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Or if you've been born and raised in New York like I was, it's what goes around comes around. You know what I'm saying? Hey, it's what it is. We are all a bundle of skilled and unskilled behaviors, aren't we? I mean, we try, we work, we, we work our, you know, our, our, our spiritual path. And, and, and yet still, we will act unconsciously sometimes, act out of fear, act out of lack, act out of limitation, act out of whatever, right? Because we don't know our wholeness in that moment, just in that moment. And then we remember who we are, right? And we remember who we are. And then we can correct things. So, so since we're all a bundle of skilled and unskilled behaviors, when we point out someone else's, we're, we're really, you know, it's not even what's happening in the present. I mean, think about it. When we become offended or when we are let down by someone else's behavior or when we're in reaction to what someone else is doing, it's really not even about what's happening in the moment because that judgment that we have about that situation comes from our past, doesn't it? We're dredging it up from wherever it came from and applying it to the situation. Or we wouldn't even have those feelings. Or we wouldn't even have that button. Right? It's always about our own past. It's not even about what's actually happening in the present moment. And you know, a lot of times when we are in denial of our own behaviors and our own unskilled behaviors, we can see them so clearly in everybody else. Can't we? We absolutely can condemn others for the same things that we're unconsciously doing. We get hurt and offended by others' remarks when they have nothing to do with us. They just touched an open wound. They just touched a sore. They just pressed a button that we have had from the past. And it really has nothing to do with the present situation. And our wounds, if we don't heal them, they are open places for other people to just, just touch, just push, just light us up. They are those open buttons. And when we do our work of healing, we're free of them as well, 
right? So now we're free of the input. Nothing hurts our feelings. We're free. We've healed those, those buttons of insecurity, those buttons of fear of rejection, those buttons of lack and limitation, those buttons of loneliness, whatever it is. When we do the work of healing our past, our old wounds, the places where we think we've been wronged or the judgment or the grudges we hold, when we heal that, we are free has nothing to do with the other person, never had, never has, never will. Ernest Holmes said this, he said, to feel we suffer from our mistakes is justice. <sighs> Breathe that in. <laughs> but to feel that our mistakes are eternal is to be already in the suppositional hell of a false theology. And we're not about that. Anyway, he said, sin is a mistake, a mistake is a sin, but both will ultimately be done away with, right? That, that temporary missing the mark, that moment of unskilled behavior, that moment when that little Jiminy Cricket dude stands on your shoulder and goes, hey, you know that thing you just did? You could have done that better. That's really what we're looking for, right? That, that bit of unskilled behavior, so then we make amends, we, we take care of it, and then we know the next time a situation like that comes up, we don't have to rush to judgment. We can pick the loving thought. We can pick the forgiving thought. We can speak only words of truth and love, going back to the first agreement. And so when we heal our wounds, we're free of other people's right, judgment of us. When we heal our wounds, we're free of our need to judge anybody else, which leads us to the last part of not taking it personally which is we don't have to believe every thought we think. Do not have to believe every thought we think. You know that, you know that cheesy, um, those slasher films, you know, those, those old, you know, the call is coming from inside the house. Yes, because it's your thought inside your head. It's nobody else's. And, you know, we don't have to believe every thought we have. We don't have to judge ourselves for everything that we do. We judge ourselves, we find ourselves guilty, we condemn ourselves. Sometimes worse than anybody else judges us. Do you have that? Do you have that, that critical judge in your mind sometimes? It's like, oh my God, what was wrong with you? What were you thinking? How could you have possibly blah, 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 fill in the blank, right? We can heal that as well. So, so the second agreement of not taking it personally includes our own thoughts about ourselves, about ourselves. We can be unreasonably tough on ourselves. And wouldn't it be better to forgive ourselves first and foremost? You know, sometimes we do conduct ourselves in, in an unskilled manner. And we can forgive ourselves for that. We're not going to take it with us to the grave, right? <sighs> we can free ourselves from our own condemnation. And here's what I know. We're all out picturing the one life of God. We are all individually, uniquely out picturing the one life of God. We are the one life of God. None, no one of us more or less of that. We are perfect, whole, and complete. We are as spirit made us, perfect, whole, and complete. 
Now, perfect, remember, doesn't mean flawless, because clearly we do act out sometimes. But perfect can also mean lacking nothing. All the ingredients are there. All the ingredients. We have come with everything that spirit is expressing through us in our own individualized way, like no one before us and like no one after us ever, ever will. And Ernest Holmes said this, and I want to finish up with this. He said, we are all members of everyone's religion, Buddhist, Confucian, Islamic, Jewish, Christian, pagan. All of us partake in the same divine life. Each of us has his road to good and to the divinity that is latent within everyone. Within everyone. We are all walking together. We're all going home. We're all doing it individually. We can all have fun doing it. Thank you.